Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus is speaking. He says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what, uh, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so other. Therefore, you shall be, ready for this, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would help us to comprehend this, number one, and then, Lord, apply this to our life. And, and I believe that this isn't something that we can just walk out and do immediately. There are aspects of it, but this is also something that is, is something that needs to take place in our heart, Lord, a transforming in the way that we think and in our mindset and, and how we live. So, God, would you give us the grace and, and your power to do that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is showing us how to stop the chain of violence is basically the idea that Jesus is portraying to us and showing us. Because what he wants us to understand is humanity has a tendency to take things too far. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was in youth group, this was so I've been leading the youth ministry here for almost 10 years. In 2011, I started, so we're getting close. Um, but before that, I was in this youth group. And I remember in youth group, we uh, had this, like, youth group slumber party, as youth groups do, you know. And uh, we had, uh, like, guys staying at one house and girls staying at another house. And at some point, the girls, I believe the girls started it. I'm going to blame the girls. But at some point, the girls came to the guy's house, and they, like, pranked the guy's house. Like, toilet papered, or they did something like that, you know? Well, it's in human nature. It's the reality that if you do something to me, obviously, I've got to do something back to you, right? So you toilet paper my house. What do we do? Well, obviously, we have to get eggs. <laughs> I mean, it's just you toilet paper we respond with something. And so we, you know, we, and don't blame me. It was a different youth pastor at the time. He led the whole, like the whole thing. So talk to him. Anyways, we responded. We had, you know, eggs. We had peanut butter. We had, you know, bologna and saran wrap. You know, all the things that you just, you do. And, of course, things got broken. <laughs> People got hurt. <laughs> Like, life was never the same after that moment. And what happens, the reason I bring that up is because it's in our human nature to respond. You do this. It's only right for me to respond in retaliation, but take it a step further. 
You know, your friend shoves you, you punch them, they deck you. Like it's just, it's it's a natural progression in response to when something happens to you, it is only natural to retaliate in the same way. And what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he is stopping the chain of violence in our reaction to what he calls our enemies. He is stopping the chain of violence. Now, we live in a violent world, don't we? We live in a violent world from from the movies, the video games, to just the, the culture and the world and the experiences in life. We live in a violent world. Now, Jesus is addressing life as a whole, but primarily his followers, right? This is the manifesto of the kingdom, the followers of Jesus, the life that we are to lead. And he explains to us how we are to act and react when people wrong us. Now, again, I mentioned Jesus has blurred the lines between who is right and wrong and who is neighbor and who is enemy. Jesus isn't concerned with that. Jesus isn't concerned with, well, you don't understand, they hit me first, and so I've got to hit them back. Jesus is is taking something deeper. He's talking about a way of life that is going to break this cycle. Now, Enemy can be defined, there's a lot of different ways we can define enemy, but really simple, um, enemy can be defined as anyone or anything that comes against you in any way, right? It could be be anyone or anything that comes against you in any way we can define enemy. And that could be extreme as, you know, whatever in our mind the most radical opposition to us as whether it's American citizens or living in our city or our school, like whatever radical one way we want to assume our enemy is, or it could be the person in our class that has been just rude to us for the last week. Like it could be any point on the spectrum. Anyone that comes against us in any way can be and probably would be defined as an enemy. Now we're all dramatic people. We like to assume, we, we, one, we like to be the hero. That's our culture. Like we love good guys and bad guys. We are obviously the good guy. And we like to over like escalate things. And like this person, not only do they just not like me, but they're my enemy. Actually, they're my arch enemy. I would even go on to say that they're my nemesis. Like, right? Like we're like so dramatic in our way of thinking. Um, but but there's, this, there's this reality. There are people, there are things, there are ideas that come against us as human beings, as followers of Jesus, as men or women, wherever we are, there are opposition to wherever we are, correct? We deal with that. And so Jesus addresses how to deal with enemy and some of the practice that will help us do this. The first thing I want to talk about is the heart. The heart. When it comes to our enemy, we need to understand the heart. And the response, the idea of the heart is love. Now, Jesus' instruction is the same to our enemy as it is to God and neighbor. Remember, we started this series with love thy Lord. And the word love that we talked about is this Greek word agape, which is a self-giving, self-sacrificial love. It's not a love based upon feeling, mutual respect, or what others have done for us. It is a love based upon action. I am choosing to love regardless of what might, I might receive in return. That's the idea of love. And he says, love your God like that. 
Love your neighbor, and the idea of neighbor is friend or person close to us or people nearby. And then Jesus, the same word, same idea, he says, love your enemy. Jesus is taking something that they knew and was common, and he's flipping it and making it extreme. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, right? He says, you've heard this before. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, remember in the previous text when we were in Matthew chapter 22 and Jesus quotes two Old Testament verses. Remember this? He quotes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture, which was in Leviticus. Now, in this portion, when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. He's not quoting scripture. Okay? He is quoting sort of a common practice for the day. There was sort of a common saying in the culture in which Jesus lived in that people said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's just like a catchy like bumper sticker. It was just like, sorry about that. Just like spit went flying right on Jacob's <laughs> knee. I'm so sorry about that. This is a perfect opportunity for me to get more ammunition. <laughs> Reloading, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> But he's not, this was just a common saying, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy. Jesus is taking a cultural standard and he's flipping it on his on its head because Jesus creates a new normal and the standard for the kingdom of God. It isn't retaliation or getting even. It is to build a bridge and grow. Jesus even, he also quotes an Old Testament scripture. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When you go to that chapter, it's actually pretty profound because it goes on to say like burn for burn. It talks about like if, if somebody takes your, your cow or if, yeah, somebody takes your cow, you get their cow. Like it goes into great detail of like all these things. And some of it is kind of like, that seems like pretty intense. Like especially like burn for burn. Like that just is like eerie. But what you have to understand is that in the culture in which that was written all the way back in the Old Testament, what was common, because it is the bent of human nature, that if you burn me, I burn your whole family. And so what God does, that just in the culture, and that's what I'm saying, like if, if you hurt me, then my response is I'm going to take it out on you and all those that you love. Right? It's like, it's like taken all up in there. You know what I mean? Like you take my daughter, I kill every single person you've ever met. So then we get a taken too, right? That's how it works. Um, that's the idea. But what God does, what God does is he just, he wants to institute just justice, right? So he says, eye for eye. So, so if somebody takes your eye, you get their eye. It's done now. Tooth for tooth. He breaks it down. Jesus says, Jesus says, you've heard it said that way. It's even. Jesus flips it. He, he takes it to a whole nother extreme where it's not about retaliation. It's not about getting even. It's about building a bridge and growing. And it's pretty revolutionary. It, it, it's life-changing when you stop and think about that. Jesus tells us to love, forgive, even accept the mistreatment is what Jesus says. But it doesn't just end there. 
Jesus doesn't just end with accepting the mistreatment. This is sort of the, the second point, is the reaction. And the reaction to mistreatment is nonviolence for Jesus. That's what he says. Now, Jesus gives us three examples of his heart when we're mistreated. Three examples, right? He says, uh, first, um, I forgot... This is, I'm going to blame the sickness. The first one he says is if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, right? Slaps you on the right cheek, takes your cloak, and the third one makes you go uh, a mile with them. So he gives three examples. And he gives us the examples to show us his heart when we're mistreated. And then he gives us, this is so cool. So just if, you, if you're like, this is kind of boring, just let me nerd out on how cool this is and how smart Jesus is for a minute. Can I? Okay. If you're like, I don't understand this, just... Let me have this, okay? This is for me, and if you guys like it too, awesome. This is just so cool for me. Jesus gives us a creative third option to deal with injustice and mistreatment. The first option in whenever we're mistreated or there's injustice is flight. And the idea of flight um, is basically, and my idea, or what I'm trying to, sort of present is this just this idea of giving in so flight would just be like oh whatever yep you hit me in the face you just hit me in the face and I'm just going to lay here now I've been hit in the face it's sort of flight just like giving in the second I the second sort of option when there's mistreatment is fight right so you can give in just take it all right roll over somebody hits you that just is what it is option two you get back up you hit them back there's the whole brawl and the whole situation. Jesus is giving a third creative option, and it is the option of nonviolence. Let's look at the examples that Jesus makes real quick, all right? Number one, he says somebody slaps you on the right cheek. Ty, will you help me illustrate this for just a moment? Thank you. This is Tyler, everybody. All right. Um, so how about you? You play the, I want to be the good guy, so you play the bad guy. So you, you're hitting me in my right cheek, and the idea is that we're assuming you're right-handed or you're right-handed. Yeah. So you would use, in order to slap me on my right cheek with your right hand, how would you do it? You would hit, you do it like that? No, come on, you do it like this. Yeah. So, okay, let's give it up for Ty, everybody. He tried. No, hold on, hold on. No, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. You would use, hopefully, you would use your backhand, right? A backhanded slap. So pretend... All right, so what he's, what he's done is he's, he's a backhanded slap on my right hand, and in their culture, this sort of honor-shame culture, a backhanded slap, in fact, there were laws against backhanded slaps because it was so culturally inappropriate and shameful for you to slap somebody on the right cheek. So what Jesus does is he institutes a creative third option. What he does, so, okay, you just slap me on my right cheek. I come up. Now he says, he says, I want you to turn the other cheek also. So now it's my, it's my left cheek. You're still right-handed. So, so what we would assume is if, if in order for him to now punch me a second time or hit me a second time, the first time was a backhanded slap. The second time we would assume that because things are getting more aggressive, he would now have to use his fist. So now it's my, it's my left cheek and it's getting more escalated, right? It's his He's punching me in the face. Give it, give it up for Ty, everybody. <laughs> so we've got, we've got the backhanded slap, right? So, ah, oh, backhanded slap. 
I'm, I'm, there's shame, there's embarrassment, there's this, there's this lack of honor. And then what I'm choosing to do in the face of my enemy is I'm standing up, I'm facing him eye to eye, man to man, and I'm saying, okay, hit me again. And what it would do, I mean, the idea behind Jesus' heart and what he's saying is that what it would do is, one, it would regain your sort of humanity and equality, right? I'm, I'm, didn't knock me down. I'm not fighting you back. I'm saying, now hit me again. But if you're going to hit me again, you're going to have to take it a step further. You're, you're going to have to, now you're going to have to hit me even harder. And what, what Jesus is sort of doing in his whole practice is it would cause, hopefully, the person hitting me to, before they threw the second punch, to at least think about what they were about to do and hopefully build a bridge and stop the chain of violence. The same is true with the, the second one. He says, somebody sues you for your tunic. Now, in their culture, the, the tunic would basically be like their shirt, and they'd wear a long shirt that covered their whole body. And most people would have a few tunics. Like, they'd have a few shirts. Now, then he says, if somebody sues you for your tunic, which is basically like your shirt that everybody would see, he says, don't only just give them their, their, your tunic, but give them your cloak also. The cloak would have been like the outer robe. And in their culture, most people would own one cloak, one robe, and uh, one because it's more expensive. This is what they would wear out and about. And it was also assumed that this would be their blanket at night. So they would use this robe as their blanket at night. And so there were also laws that talked about not taking somebody's robe. So what Jesus does, he says, okay, somebody sues you for your cloak. You've got three options. Number one is flight. Here's my cloak. Just take it. Uh, whatever. Second option is fight. You lawyer up, because right, he says sue. You lawyer up. You get the best one in the Galilee or wherever you're from. You, go, you take him to court, and you're like, you're taking my cloak. I'm going to take your house. Right? And that's kind of like, I mean, we, we see that a lot in our culture today. Like, you sue me, I'm going to sue you. And we're just going to be in legal battles forever, and then we'll just pay each other off, and we'll just be done with it. So fight, right? Fight back. And Jesus says there's a third option. He says, what I want you to do, and, and some comments, there's like differing views. I'm just going to say it, and we can deal with it how we wish. But some commentators believe that Jesus is being funny here. And that what he's saying is that you in the courtroom, somebody has so, sued you for your, your cloak. Why don't you just strip naked in the courtroom, give them everything, and let them decide what they're going to do? <laughs> and what you're doing is in, in you're taking back control. Right? You're saying, you, you, you want my, here, take it. If, if this is what it's about for you, if you just want my stuff, take it all, have it, and you're regaining your humanity, regaining your, your equality, and forcing them to consider their actions. Now, the third option, the third, or the third one, he says, is this, this, if somebody compels you to walk one mile, walk with them too. This is my favorite one. And the reason for that is because at the time of Jesus, Rome had occupied Israel. We know this, right? We know that Jesus was crucified because the Romans were in power and crucifixion was the Romans' way of killing people. So Rome is, is in power in Israel at the time. And at the time, with Roman soldiers walking around, they could compel an Israelite, a Hebrew, at any moment to carry their stuff, and they had to, by law, walk with them one mile carrying their stuff. So, so a Roman could come up to you at any point, whatever you're doing, whether you're about to go to bed, or you were just waking up in the morning, you're on the way to work, whatever it is, hey, you, carry my stuff, and you had to walk with me a mile. 
So Jesus says, if anybody compels you to walk with them one mile. So now in their mind, in the Hebrews' mind at this time, this is the worst enemy is Rome. This is as worse as it gets. Like this is their arch nemesis, right? This is Rome. And they said, if somebody compels you to walk with you one mile, go with them too. Now, again, option number one, flight, whatever. I'll carry your stuff for the mile there. You're happy, and then you go about your day. Number two is, is fight, right? You respond. Either you run. Maybe you go and join the zealots or some other sort of radical um, uh, group that is opposing. There's a group called the Dagger Men that used to go into crowds. They would slit the throat of Roman soldiers and slip back into the crowds. Jewish people, Hebrew people that were going against the Roman uh, uh, sort of control. Maybe you decide, you know what, I'm going to join them. I don't want to carry this stuff. So you fight. And Jesus says there's an option number three. Option number three, it's not flight, it's not fight, but actually... You are going to walk with them the one mile by force. You have to. But then at the end of the mile, you volunteer yourself and say, how about I just keep walking with you a second mile? What this does, one, is it takes back your humanity, regains equality. No longer are the Roman soldiers your boss, but you are doing it out of free will, out of volunteering, saying, I am choosing to walk with you this extra mile regaining your humanity and forcing the enemy to pause and think about their life. All three of these examples that Jesus gives is he's giving us a creative third option to stop the chain of violence. He's giving us another way out. And he's setting up something different, a better way than just responding in violence or giving in. It isn't passive submission, but creative reaction to mistreatment that allows for more. It allows for relationship and for reconciliation. Let's bring it closer to home because many of us have never been sued for a cloak or a tunic. We don't even have those things. Um, we've, uh, maybe we've been slapped backhanded slap, but we don't know how to respond to that. And we've probably never been forced to walk a mile. Um, we've had been forced to drive people um, and not get gas money for it, but that's a different thing. Um, so let's imagine, I'm just going to make a really elementary example. Let's imagine for a second somebody comments on your post something so just, ugh, just rude and oh my gosh. Or maybe they send you a DM and you're like, I can't believe and maybe, maybe it was very hurtful. Maybe somebody sent you something very aggressive and hurtful or commented some passive-aggressive thing on your post. Three options. Ready? Option number one is flight. Whatever. You're just going to be mean to me. I, that's just, I guess it's fine. Maybe I am that way. Whatever. Option two is, is fight. Right? You comment back something even nastier. You send them back, you know, you get your friends in and out, you're all gossiping about them. You're like, we're going to jump them next time we see them. Like, <laughs> so there, there, there's, the f there's the fight, there's the fight, there's the fight, and then there's a, there's a creative third option. The creative third option would be like their photo and comment something kind on their photo. What does it do? It, it forces them. It, it, you regain your humanity. You regain your equality. And you force them to consider their actions, don't you? Yeah. Even if they don't want to, if you respond not in retaliation, not with more hate, but you respond in love and kindness 
and just, and even if it's not right away, what you're doing is you're stopping the chain of violence. You're stopping the chain of hate. You're stopping the chain of aggression, right? You, you can't drive out hate with more hate. It doesn't work. The only way to respond is by stopping that chain, rising above it, and doing what Jesus says, loving your enemy. So that is the reaction Jesus tells us to have when we are mistreated. But it doesn't just stop there with when somebody mistreats us. Jesus is so smart. He's so cool. Best preacher to ever do it. He, gives a, he, he, he lays it out for us. He says, love your enemy. When they mistreat you, you need to make sure you respond the right way. You have a creative third option every time you're mistreated. You don't have to respond with flight or fight. There's a third option where you can respond in love. But Jesus also prepares us for that interaction. And the third point is our action. Not just our reaction, but the action. And that is premeditated love premeditated love. Jesus also instructs us on how to behave with our enemies when they haven't wronged us. So, right, we have, we have people in our world or people that we interact with that mistreat us, right? They cut us off in the car. Like you're driving, they cut you off, and you're like, lay on the horn, and you're like, you, like you give them like a nice friendly wave and you're like, Jesus loves you and they cut you off, right? You're all happy and you're like, love you, right? And, and you have, somebody mistreats you. So we, there, all, all the time in our world, we, we experience mistreatment. But then there's also ideas or people or thoughts or thinking that we might consider. Now again, Jesus blurs the lines between neighbor and enemy. And so who we think is our enemy, Jesus would consider our neighbor, besides the point, but there are people in our world and things in our world that just come against a Christian or are in opposing views of the Christian. Maybe we haven't had a personal mistreatment interaction with them, but we might consider them or think about them as a quote-unquote enemy. And so Jesus tells us sort of a more general way of living in a world of people that we don't get along with. How do we do it? He tells us to do a couple things. Number one, he tells us to pray. He says, pray for our enemies. He does not mean pray that they'd get dumped by their boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> he doesn't pray like, God, I hope they lose their hair by the time they're 30. Like, it's, he's, not, he's not saying pray horrible things for them. He's actually, the idea is to pray for them to experience blessing and favor. He, he sort of breaks it down. This is sort of, um, it's not in Luke's gospel. Most people think that this is an exactly quote for Jesus, but kind of uh, uh, a little bit of addition. Um, but Jesus said, pray for your enemies. But then it gives sort of an example of how to do that. He says, bless and do good and pray for those who spite or persecute you. So bless, do good, and pray. That's the idea of what we should pray for. Blessing goodness, and then just intercession for them, that we should pray for our enemies. Also, when it comes to your enemies or people that are against you or people that you have a hard time looking at, because I think sometimes enemy is a, could be a whole group that we don't know or a whole idea that we don't have any interaction with. And so it's a heart posture that we have towards people or groups or ideas or thinking 
And he's saying, pray for them, but also in praying for them, pray for yourself and your heart towards them. Pray for growth. Because for, you, what you find is just like little insider information. Um, what you find when you pray for people that you don't like is you start to like them. It's, it's this horrible thing that God does in our heart. Where you're like, I was so happy just like hating that person's guts. And now I'm like kind of rooting for him. And I don't know what's happened. Well, what's happened is you've, you've begun to pray for him and God's beginning to change your heart. And even if their actions or their thinking or their behavior doesn't change, your heart's changing and God is working on you. So we pray for our enemies. But then also, I love this. He says, greet your enemies. I love this. Look again, verse 47. Remember, he's, he's giving a contrast in this point. He says, he says, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? So he's bringing up this idea of tax collector. The tax collectors were, were Jewish, but they joined Romans team, and now their job was to collect money from their fellow Jews to give to the Romans. So they didn't like each other. And Jesus, so Jesus takes in their mind sort of the worst of the worst, and he says, don't even tax collectors get along with their own friends? Like he says, if you just love the people that love you, how are you any different than anybody else? Everybody loves those that love them. Like that's just, that's my friend. That's what it's called. It's called being a friend. I lo- you like me, I like you, we're buddies. He says, it's, it's no big deal. It's not, it's not that big a deal to greet those that you like. And so what he's inferring is that we are to greet those that maybe we don't like. And the idea of greet is, is not just be like, <laughs> you saw that? Here, I'll do it again in case you weren't looking. Like this. <laughs> there was like a little head nod there, but there was also like some disgust there. That's not the idea. The idea of greet is to say hello Maybe have a conversation with them. Maybe build a bridge and have relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so when it comes to our enemy, the action, the premeditated action we have to take is... Now, again, because Jesus is, is the best to ever do it. Jesus also touches on motivation. The final point is this motivation, which is the reason that we should love our enemies. And Jesus tells that. Because if you're listening to his sermon, right? Sermon on the Mount, he's talk, he talks about in the beginning, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are weak. He gives all these things. He talks about how you are the salt of the earth. You're the light on the world, light of the world. You're supposed to be set apart like a city on a hill that you can't escape it, that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All of these things. And then he flips his script and he talks about how you, you've heard that it was said that if you, if you uh, uh, murder someone, like, oh, it's bad. And he says, I tell you that if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you've murdered them in your heart. And Jesus is just wrecking people's minds. Just absolutely, people are like, what is happening? And then Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you are to love your enemy. Maybe right then, maybe you're, maybe you're listening to the sermon, and right then you see off in the de- distance. I've been on the Mount of Beatitudes or where Jesus gave this sermon. I've been there. There's a road nearby. And maybe right then a, a Roman fleet of soldiers walk by, and you're like, love my enemy. Or, or, maybe, or maybe 
like a couple rows away, sitting in the same congregation you, is that one person that always avoids you or gives you dirty looks or just cuts you off in the marketplace or is always like just the worst. And Jesus says, love your enemies. And you go, I don't know, how am I supposed to do this? Jesus tells us the motivation. Look at verse 45. He says, that, the reason behind loving your enemies, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So you'll be sons of your Father. I used to think that end part where it says rain on the just and the unjust was like a negative thing. Like he was saying that God... That bad things happen to good people and bad people. That's not what it's saying. Because like we think of rain as like, oh, it ruined my beach day. Like I hate the rain. It ruined oh, the beach. Like sometimes it's nice because like, we're lazy and we don't want to do anything that day. But most of the day it's like, oh, ruined my beach day. And so rain like a lot of times is a negative thing. But in their agrarian culture, rain is actually favor and blessing. So if you're growing crops and you know those crops are not only going to feed you and your family, but it's also going to be your money and your livelihood to get through the next season of life, rain is a good thing. And when you experience a lot of rain and a lot of sunshine, that means God's favor is on your life. And what Jesus is saying is that God sends favor on good people and God sends favor on bad people. And he says, when you love your enemy, he says, literally, you will become sons of your father. In other words, to put it very simply, when you love your enemy, you become more like Christ. And the ultimate example of of God loving his enemies was through the life and ultimate death of his son, Jesus. Says it like this in Romans, and worship team, you guys can come up here as I close. Romans 5, verse 6, this is so, so profound and life-changing. He says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the who? Come on, read it. It's on the screen. Christ died for who? The ungodly. For, he says, scarcely or rarely for a righteous man would one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. So he's saying like maybe somebody would lay their life down for somebody else that was like a good or decent person. Or maybe like someone that you loved or like your wife or something like that. Like you'd lay your life down for somebody else. And then he says, rarely though. And he says, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he says, while we were yet sinners, you you could say, while we were in the very act of sinning, against God, against the nature of God, against who he is, God died for us. While we were, as he says, enemies of God, he died for us. So when when we love our enemies, we become 
godly or more like God. Why? Because he loves his enemies. Right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? It's not the Christian. It's not the good person. It's not the self-righteous. It's not the good tither. It's not the person that's always on time or whatever it is. God loves the world. And in that, there are enemies. Now, it's, it's kind of a profound thing to think about that if God loves the world, what would consider someone an enemy? Somebody that has, Paul talks about enemies of the cross of Christ, and it's anybody that would stand in the way of the cross of Christ or anybody that would point to something else other than the cross of Christ. So anybody that makes it difficult for somebody to get to Jesus or anybody that says there is another way to God apart from Jesus would become an enemy of the cross of Christ. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I was listening to a song um, this week. It's by uh, an artist. His name is John Mark McMillan. He's a Christian-like singer-songwriter. I love his music. Um, but uh, he's got a song called Enemy Love. And uh, it's a great song, and I was thinking about it. And um, he says, like, it's kind of the hook at the end of the song. And he just repeats this idea. He says, I don't want to be your enemy love. And he's speaking about God. He says, I don't want to be, I don't want to be your enemy. Like, it just repeats itself like that. And I was thinking, like, about it. And I was like, what is what does that mean, this idea of I don't want to be your enemy love? And I was thinking about how, how you can be a recipient. You, let me start over. You are a recipient of God's love. You have the choice to either receive enemy love or family love. What I mean by that is you have the choice to decide, are you receiving the love of God as an enemy because God loves his enemies? Or are you receiving love that is family love because you have been, in the language of Jesus, a part of, you are now a son or daughter of your heavenly father. See what I'm saying? So we can receive enemy love. Why? Because God loves his enemies those that stand against or apart from his family. You can receive enemy love. God loves the world. He's not going to not love you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He loves you. Or you can receive family love. There's a difference, isn't there? The difference between how you're going to love your enemy, because I know we're called to it. It's difficult. It's not easy. I'm going to love my enemy. But it's different how you're going to love your enemy versus how you're going to love your family, isn't it? I don't want to be... Your enemy love. He doesn't say this. I'm going to add this. I want to be your family love. I want to be a part of your family and receive the love that is given to a son or a daughter, not somebody that he is loving as an enemy. And because of this, remember we're talking about motivation. Because of the love that we've received, that now motivates us to love as well our enemies. I don't know, I don't know who your enemies are. I don't know if you feel like Drake and you got a lot of enemies. I just don't know. Most of us is just like, most of us is just like, I've got people that are there, people I get along with, people that I just don't care for. Okay? Jesus addresses that. He says, how are you going to be actively premeditated loving towards them? Well, you're going to get your motivation from the love of Christ. He loves me. He loved me while I was still a sinner. He died for me. And he gives me option to enter into his family. 
And then from that place, I'm going to choose to love them. How? Well, one, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God would bless them. I'm going to pray that God would show up in their life. I'm going to pray that God would change their heart and God would be so good to them and so real to them and that they would never have to experience pain or suffering or anxiety or depression, that they would have peace and they would have joy and that they would have love. And what happens is when you pray these things for your enemies, God changes your heart. And then next time you see him, like he says, you can greet him. You can greet him. Hey, how's it going? Sometime it might be like totally rude back to you and like forget you. And you're like, that's cool. Just go home. God, pray, Lord, I lift them up. Help them. Whatever they're going through. Maybe, maybe they're going through something at home and that's causing them to lash out at me like this. So God, whatever's going on at home behind the scenes that I'm not seeing, would you just help them in that moment? Maybe next time you keep breaking them down. Hey, how's it going? You good? How you been? I've been thinking about you. Greet them. Conversation. And you're, you're breaking the chain of hate. You're responding in love and you're building a bridge and you're God is calling us to something greater. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if this many people went out into their room or into their schools and into their workplaces and retaliated with injustice with love? Could you imagine what that would do to a school or to a family or to a workplace or a community or a city or a state or a country or a nation or a world if people responded with, instead of retaliating and getting back, we responded with love? That's, the, that's what Jesus calls to. It's, hi, what's our motivation? His love for us.